ask that question, why the church exists, we, our minds go to, I believe, probably what we do more than why we do it. And our minds go to trying to get the right answer. You saw all those wheels turning for people, and there were some beautiful answers in that that weren't necessarily what we quote and everything. But when we think about why the church is here, we need to start there. Because if we start with what we do, then it's kind of empty. It's like, okay, why are we doing this? Why do we sing songs? Why do I teach the word? Why, why do we do all these things? If that has a why, then we can get more engaged with that. Over the next uh, two weeks, uh, this week and next, we're going to dive into these two questions. Why and what? As we think about the why, that's why we exist as a church. And that, my friends, is what our purpose is. The why is our purpose. The what is how we see that fleshed out. What we see, and specifically for 2024, is what we're going to be talking about next week. That is our plan. So we've got a plan and we've got a purpose. Today we're going to focus mostly on the plan. For some, today is going to be a reminder. At least I hope so, right? But for some of you, you've come within the last year. How many are here today and you've shown up at WBC just in the last year? Raise your hands really high. Look around, look around at all those hands. That's quite a number of you. This might be new stuff for you. But for those of you that think, okay, I can cruise, I don't have to listen anymore, you might get some new information, but you also need reminders. We need reminders so that we stay focused on why we are here, so we stay committed to our purpose. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with our purpose, our mission, our vision, our values, they're in a nice little brochure that you can get on your way out. Our welcome team will have those. If you want to read more about all of those, because there's no way I can teach this whole brochure and teach the Bible at the same time. So we're not going to do that today. But you can get those, take those home with you, and study them, memorize them, so that when Beck comes around next year and asks you what it is, you can actually quote that uh, to her. Both weeks are going to include some encouragement about who we are and where we're going, but it's also going to invite you to get engaged. It's going to invite you to get involved more and more into that space. You're not going to want to miss out. So if you do, or if you need to go back and hear all this again, go to our YouTube channel, go to our app, and play that stuff over and over again. Again, that helps you memorize, right? There we go. So make yourself uh, or avail yourself to that. Why, though, do we bother with the why? I want to tell you five reasons that we bother with the why. We bother with the why, one, because it gives us direction. If we know why we're here, then that will define where we're going. It will give us the direction that we need to move forward, not only as a church, but in life. For us, if we know why we're here, it helps us move forward. Direction, it gives us focus. It helps us not get distracted. When we remember why we're here, what our purpose is, then we're going a direction and we can stay focused and we recognize distractions when they come along and we say, no, 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 I'm losing focus because that's not a part of the why. It also uh, helps us be good stewards. Now, steward is a a biblical word that we don't uh, use a lot, but it, it helps us be responsible with the resources God gives us, both people and finances and everything else, our buildings and everything that we have, it helps us be good stewards of those resources if we know why, because we won't use them for things that don't fit that. It helps with decision-making. 
when the leadership team and when groups that are responsible for ministry need to make decisions, and they're difficult decisions sometimes because there is so much stuff we could do, it helps us decide whether we do it or we don't because we know why we're here. Are you getting the message here already? Yep, we haven't even got to the Bible yet. Oh, my goodness. It also unifies us when we know why we're here, when we can all understand why we're here, that helps us be in alignment and we can accomplish much, much more together than we can everybody going their own direction. So it unites us and aligns us with where we're going. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, you haven't gotten to the Bible yet. Who's, who's thinking that right now? Yeah, I know some of you are. We're going to the Bible this morning because that is what underpins our why. You know, one of our values is this, we value, and this is in the brochure, we value the clear teaching and application of Scripture. So we want to look to Scripture to understand our why. Not just the fancy statements that we arrive at, but those are actually arrived at through looking at Scripture. So today, I want us to unpack from Scripture why we are here. In Scripture, there's a book called Acts. It's the history of the early church. It was written by a Jesus follower named Luke. He was a smart guy. He was a doctor. And he wrote a historical account of the early church. And in chapter 2 of that book, the church was born. And then the Spirit lit the flame. We just sang those lyrics here just a couple of minutes ago. The, The church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. And when that happened... Jesus had risen from the dead. The disciples were waiting in an upper room where he told them, go wait, and then I'm going to send something else. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. That's what the day of Pentecost is. It's the day the Holy Spirit came. There was utter chaos all around. There were people hearing in languages that they didn't understand, and they were understanding what was going on. And the chaos was so great that some of the onlookers said, these people are all drunk. They're out of their minds or something here. And when that happened, Peter launched into a sermon, the very first sermon recorded in the New Testament, uh, other than the things that Jesus said. And when Peter launched into this sermon, there was a great result. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all on that day. That's exciting, friends. That's when the church was born. And then a few verses later, it tells us that daily, God kept adding to the church those who were being saved. So the church is growing. We've got the early church. It's formed. It's growing. And for you and I, we need to understand that this movement that began over 2,000 years ago is still going forward today. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, it says that this movement turned the world upside down. It was that powerful. It changed the world completely. Why did all that happen? Why was it so effective? Well, I would suggest to you that it was supernatural. I would suggest to you that it was a God thing, that God was stirring, God was moving. The Holy Spirit came, and he empowered this to happen. And that's why we're still doing it over 2,000 years later. But, you know, that early church had a DNA. 
And that DNA has been passed down to churches generation after generation after generation. And DeCham wants it to keep getting passed down generation to generation. If you remember what he was talking about here, that, that our faith will keep getting passed down generation to generation. And it may look different from one expression to the other, but that's our DNA. So when we look back at that early church, if we were to unpack the rest of Acts chapter two, which we're not going to today, but you would see that they were really on about six things. Six things really drove them. When they met together, when they would uh, do the things they do, here's the things that they did. They evangelized. God was adding to the church daily those that were being saved. They were getting the gospel out. That's evangelism. They were listening to and acting on the apostles' teaching. That's discipleship. So they were on about evangelism, discipleship. They were on about serving or ministry because nobody had needs among them because they were ministering to each other. They were on about worship. They were praising God all the time. They were on about fellowship. They met house to house to have community. And they were on about prayer. Those are the things that define that early church. The Holy Spirit's empowerment and then these six things that they did over and over again. That is the DNA of the early church. But we build our purpose around those things, but also two statements that Jesus made, two powerful statements. And again, if you're a church person, if you grew up in kids men and you're sitting in here today, this is not new for you. But there's two statements that Jesus made that we need to build into our purpose and understanding of what he wants us to do. They're known as the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love each other, right? And then the great commission is this, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So if we summarize that, Jesus was saying, and the early church expressed, loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Those are the things they were on about. We summarize it like this. This is our why. This is our purpose. This is our mission. And you've already heard it in the video today. But it's striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, and sharing Jesus. Jesus is the most important part of that. You know, and when we formed this statement, to start with that first line, was it there, the striving to be? And somebody in the room, we had about 20 people in the room, and after we had this beautiful statement that says, we are a loving community, seeking, serving, sharing Jesus, he said, what if that's not everybody's experience? And that person got fired. But uh, yeah, just kidding. They weren't on staff. <laughs> but we said, you know what? We're going to be honest about it. Sometimes we're going to mess up. Sometimes we're not going to get it right. So we're going to strive to be. We're going to do our best. We're going to do everything we can within us to make this happen, to be that loving community that's seeking, serving, and sharing Jesus. Now, this was the early church, and their DNA is similar to ours. We carried that DNA over. Our uniqueness, though, in that, it comes out in what we do. And that's going to be tackled a little bit more next week. And you do not want to miss next week. I promise you need to get here early so you can get a seat and not have standing room only and all that kind of stuff. So be here next week. Bring a friend. And if you, everybody here brings a friend next week, I got no idea what we're going to do. But it'll be fun. I promise. 
So here we go. The rest of time today, I want us to look at another church. I want us to learn from another church, a church that was growing and vibrant. When Luke mentioned in Acts chapter 17 that this movement had turned the world upside down, he was quoting some leaders in a city called Thessalonica. And those leaders had arrested Paul and his mate Silas and had taken them before the council so that they could be tried. And it's those leaders that said, this movement has turned the world upside down and they've done it in our city too. So it wasn't Jesus followers that said, we've got this movement that turned the world upside down. It was an accusation against them that people that were trying to stop it. So it's that church that church in Thessalonica that I want us to look at this morning. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to them. He says this, We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got Paul writing. Paul is a real person to real people in a real church, okay? I said we're looking at another church and how they did things today. We're talking about a real church that was in the first century. He starts by saying, I thank God for you, and I pray for you. And my mind goes to immediately, why? Why did he thank God for them? Why was he excited about this group of believers? And then, what if he wrote a letter to our church? I wonder what he would say. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't like that question quite as much, but, but we'll, we'll get back to that at the end here. Uh, but he wrote this letter to the church, and he said, I thank God for your faithful work. Their faithful work was literally a work flowing from their faith in Christ. That's what faithful work means there. It was a, the work they were doing was flowing from their faith in Christ. In verse 9, you would see that they had turned away from idols to God. They turned away from idols. Their faith, the gospel, had been transformative in their lives. They lived in a very pagan city that uh, worshipped idols and everything, and they had turned away from that. That was their faithful work. And then it says their loving deeds. Their loving deeds literally were actions flowing from their love for Christ. Their actions that flowed out of their love for Christ. The deeds that they did. Again, it says that in verse 9, they turned away from the idols to serve the living and true God. And the way we serve God is by serving those around us. We serve God by serving people. Jesus said that when you serve the least of these, you're serving me. And then it says that they had enduring hope. Their endurance was inspired by hope in Christ. Those are the things that Paul was saying I'm thankful for. They had endurance. And if you're here last week you, or two weeks ago, you'll remember that we talked about Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are labor, and you have heavy burdens. That's the same word here, the heavy burdens. The endurance is bearing up under a heavy burden. And that was because they had hope in Christ. That's why we multiply hope, because we believe that people's hope is in Christ. So that's where that comes from. They were waiting for Christ's return in, in uh, chapter or verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Summing all this up. Okay, Paul was thankful for them because they were a church that has evidence. 
There was evidence. It could back up that they were followers of Jesus. They were the real deal. They didn't just say they were followers of Jesus. They showed it. Their walk matched their talk. When you could examine their lives, you'd say, yeah, they're the real deal. They're not just saying all this Jesus stuff. They're not just wearing the T-shirt. They're living it out. Following Jesus had infected their hearts. Following Jesus had infected their hearts and changed them completely so that following Jesus affected their actions. As they lived out their faith, there was evidence that they were truly a community of faith following Jesus. Look at verse 4. It says, we know that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Paul's saying, part of the evidence, we know that you're loved by God. We know that you were chosen by God. We know that the work that you're doing was empowered by the Holy Spirit, even to the point of you believing had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had to give you the assurance that what we were saying was true. Their confidence came from God, not from just Paul's messages that he had given to them. It came from God assuring them that this was the truth. The evidence that was displayed, I don't know if you picked it up when we went through their, uh, their uh, works of faith and their loving deeds and their enduring hope. Their confidence caused them to exercise faith, hope, and love. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Ever, anybody been to a wedding recently? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says the faith, hope, and love are the things that will last. And the greatest of these is love. Paul said, this church in Thessalonica, you guys are kicking goals. You're exercising faith, hope, and love. There's evidence that marks out that in your lives. And friends, that evidence should mark us as well. But it wasn't only the evidence that made Paul thankful. Look at verse 6. It says, so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. He says, Man, I am so thankful for you because you received this message with joy in spite of the suffering you were going through. Now, I want you to think about what suffering they might have been going through at that point. Okay, these guys, they're new converts. This is a new church. They have decided to follow Jesus. There would have been Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are everybody else. For the Jewish people who had made decisions to follow Jesus, the suffering they would have endured would have come from their countrymen who were very antagonistic towards the gospel and towards Jesus. And they would have had to deal with that, their friends, their family. The Gentiles, the Greeks who came to faith. Remember, this is a pagan city. They worshiped idols, and that was businesses would make idols and all of these kinds of things. So everything that they were focused on, everything their life was geared towards, would have flipped, and people wouldn't have been excited about that. Some of these people would have had to shut down their businesses because now they're not gonna make idols anymore because they're going after the true and living God. Some of these people, talk about our suffering, some of these people would have been spouses, who accepted Christ, who came to faith in Christ, and then went home 
to the spouse that didn't. And the spouse that didn't would not have appreciated this newfound faith, wouldn't have been that excited about it for them. They would have been enduring suffering. Their jobs, their families, social rejection. Yet in spite of the suffering, they were willing to embrace the message. You know, I've traveled a fair bit around the world. And one thing that, that I've observed, that I've noticed, that always just kind of blows my mind, is people in places that have to do life harder and often have to secretly even worship if they're following Jesus, seem to have more joy, seem to be more excited about their faith than, if I, if I can be honest, than we do, and I'm including myself. You know, we look at our, our life and our troubles and our sorrows and difficulties that we go through, but friends, we are a blessed people. We live in a blessed country where we're free to worship and to express our worship and to follow God, and nobody's going to attack us for that. Now, I know some of you may think, well, yeah, have you looked at what's going on in the political world and all that? Yes, I have, and it's different. It's not the same as being persecuted for your faith. We have people actually in the room today and probably online who have been persecuted for their faith in their country of origin, and that's why they're here. They came here as refugees because they said yes to following Jesus. And that meant they were going to be persecuted and potentially even killed if they stayed in their country. You know what I find with some of these people, most of these people? They have more joy about following Jesus than I do. Yeah, it's confession time, right? Here's the little window. Yeah, we don't do that, by the way, in case that's your background. But they have more joy. That's what Paul's talking about with this church at Thessalonica. He said, you guys had to deal with a lot of suffering, but you embraced it with joy. Our joy should not be derived from our circumstances, but through our relationship with Jesus. Paul said this. Here's the result of that. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Acacia. Not only were they a church that had evidence, they were a church that set an example. They were a church that set an example. That's why Paul is saying he's thankful for them. It says they became imitators of their spiritual parents. They imitated what Paul and Silas and others had taught them. So they were, that, that's very normal in the life of a believer when you first trust Christ is that you get alongside people who are a little bit further along in their faith journey. Maybe it's the person that led you to Christ even and they kind of teach you how to, to do things and they point you to scriptures and things. And then you know what happens? And it says it happened for the Thessalonians. Not only did they imitate them, but they imitated Christ. Because as believers grow, we start imitating Christ. We learn things ourselves when we read Scripture and when the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and we start learning and growing ourselves. That's what was going on. And see, they had followed the example and then they were setting the example. It's like, they, they were, well, here's a secret for next week, okay? I, I, this is off script and I'll probably get in trouble in my own head because I'm messing up next week's message. But when, when I first came up with, we first came up with the hope multiplied thing, that's our vision, which we're talking about next week. I wanted to call it reproduction, all right? But there were smart people in the room with me that thought that wouldn't be a good slogan for a church, right? right. We're the reproduction church, but anyway. So, but that's what they were doing. 
They were coming to Christ, and they were growing by their spiritual mentors, and then they were leading others to Christ and mentoring them. They were setting examples. They followed the example, and then they were setting examples. They were great followers, and then they became great leaders. They were encouraging other churches, and some of the things they set the example in were enduring suffering. We already talked about that. They stayed committed to the gospel. They were not wavering based on societal pressures or even job losses or even family dysfunction. They were committed to Christ. They demonstrated love and faithfulness. There was evidence. They're the real deal. They'd grown in their faith, and now they were setting an example for others. And then it says this about them. This is so exciting, guys. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Acacia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. How exciting is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we need, I need to explain it a little bit more. Right, okay, okay. Man, just reading it gets me excited. But anyway, it says that, that ringing out it says there from you, that, that word comes, uh, the Greek word for that is ekakeo, ekakeo, right? What does that sound like in an English word? Echo. Can you give me some echo back there, Mr. Soundman? Echo, echo. It was ringing out to sound out, to abroad, to be reverberated. They were amplifiers. They were like relay stations to make the sound keep going. It would hit another relay station, and that would amplify it even further. So the message kept going. They were a church who had evidence. They were a church that set an example, and they were a church with an echo. They were a church with an echo where it kept going out from them. It was through their personal lives, the testimonies of lives that had been transformed, that people beyond them, we're hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ and neighbors who heard about their faith coming to faith. Other people were telling Paul about it. It wasn't this church reporting itself. Hey, Paul, look at all we're doing. It was everywhere he was going. It's like, hey, that church back in Thessalonica, hey, they're the real deal. They're the ones that told us about Jesus. And it was echoing on and on and on again. The outcome of his visit was being made known around the world not by Paul, but by everybody else, by those who have become believers. He said this. He said, we don't, need them to t- we don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you guys gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He's the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. They had a reputation. People were talking about them on and on again. The church was known for their commitment to Jesus. They shared the gospel far and wide. And they were looking forward to the return of Jesus. Why? Because they knew that he had rescued them from the terrible judgment to come. And friends, that inspired them. That motivated them. Because there are people out from them that weren't a part of them who didn't know Jesus, and they were going to experience the terrible, terrible judgment to come. And that motivated them. They said, that's not okay. That's not okay. We want to make sure these people at least have that opportunity to come to faith in Christ. So what does that have to do with us? Not much, right? Well, this church in Thessalonica had learned from the early church. They were doing the same things the early church did. They were living out the mission because they had allowed the early church DNA to infect them. And I would suggest to you 
while they wouldn't have had this cool, snazzy statement, that they were a church who was striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, and sharing Jesus. That was the church at Thessalonica. Their faithful work, turning away from idols, that was seeking Jesus. Their loving deeds to serve God, that was being a loving community and serving Jesus. And their enduring hope, they were expectant, and it was ringing out, that's sharing Jesus. They were a church that, quite, quite honestly, looked a lot like us. What would Paul write to you and I today? As the lead pastor, if I got an email from Paul I would probably sit there for a few days before I'd open it. By the way, if you've emailed me and it's taken me a week or two, sometimes that happens. But I'd be afraid to open Paul's email because I would want it to say, I'm thankful for you. You're kicking some goals. You're doing a good job. But I would have some questions that I know Paul would be asking. I would ask myself before I even looked at his email. I'd be thinking, is there evidence As we look around, is there evidence that shows we are that community of faith? We're that loving community that is seeking, serving, sharing Jesus. Is that provable as a community? Is that provable for us as individuals? And then I would wonder, are we an example? Is he going to say, yeah, we're doing a good job. We're an example to others. You know, and that may come out some next week. Part of our vision is to help others, other churches. Are we there? Are we that example? Are we an example worth following, really, is the, is the real question you want to ask. And what did he say? I've heard about you guys. There's actually a, a, an echo going out. People say, because of where be Baptist Church, because of the people there, uh, we've actually been able to come to faith in Christ. We've actually been able to start following Christ ourselves and follow their example. And we're actually creating other communities of faith because of what they're doing at Werribee, and that's echoing out around the world over and over and over again. What would Paul say? Ponder that this week with me. I'm going to invite you to say with me something here, okay? It's going to be a shocker for you, all right? I want us all together, and I'm going to say it through one time. In fact, I I want you to repeat after me, line after line. But I'm going to say, we're striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, sharing Jesus. Okay? So you're going to say it line by line after me. But here's the catch. Do you own this here? And you might not love the words or whatever, but the, the, the sentiment behind it, the spirit behind it, where it comes from, from Scripture. If you own this, say it with me. Okay? Here we go. You're going to say it after me. Striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, sharing Jesus. One more thing. Actually, there's going to be one more thing. If you read that statement, as you just said those words, was there any of those words that were harder to say than the others for you personally? If there was, maybe identify one of those areas in your life that says, you know what? I want to be a part of that, that movement that's turning the world upside down still. But you know what? I need to work on the seeking a little more or the serving or the sharing or maybe the loving or maybe the striving to be. Maybe you're not even trying. And you say, oh, man, 
Maybe I'll start trying. What would it be for you? I want to encourage you to not just make these words, but to let them sink into your heart and say, okay, God, what, what do I need to work on this year? One more thing. You've done great today. Thank you for listening about the mission. Next week, we're going to talk about the vision, but I want your help. There's a QR code on the screen. There was a QR code on the screen. Did it just reset? Okay, okay. So we won't do that. Maybe Pastor Deanna will give you the homework assignment in the close after we sing a song if the computer reboots and, and I pray long enough. To, oh, wait, wait a minute. There we go. There we go. Okay, here's your homework assignment. We have a survey for you. There's a QR code. And if you click on that QR code right now, you can get your phones out and click on it now. Don't fill the survey out now. Just save it so you can go back to it later. All right? It's a survey that asks you a lot of questions. And some of those questions, you may start scratching your head and think, oh, that's a leading question. They want information so they can make some decisions. Yes, you're not wrong. So if you want to help be a part of creating the vision for this year, impacting the vision for this year, if you could do that for us, it would be a tremendous, tremendous help. We'd really, really appreciate that. There's other ways that you can do it. You can go to the website and just uh, look at the survey, wherebebaptistorg.au slash survey. It's anonymous, and it should take about 10 minutes to complete. If it takes more than 10, you're like my wife, and you're overthinking, okay, right? And if it only takes you two minutes, you're like me, and you didn't give it enough thought, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the church that was began over 2,000 years ago that defined how we behave and the things that we do. Thank you for your Holy Spirit empowerment. And now, Lord, as we go from here, help us to embrace this reminder today of what we're here for and to really ask why when we do stuff so that, Lord, we can be focused, so that we can have direction, so we can make good decisions and be good stewards of what you've given us. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room and everyone online. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we are striving to be that loving community that's seeking, that's serving, and that's sharing Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.